am surrounded on every side can't see the light of day but i am persuaded on every hope you won't let go of me i stick my to you all. Welcome. So glad to see you here and we invite you to stand. Let's please sing together. You my God have saved my soul. I am yours forevermore. I won't be moved of this I'm sure. You're my God and you saved my soul. I 
I'm bursting out with songs of praise. What once was dead is now alive. You gave to me the breath of life. You brought me up out from the grave. I'm bursting out with songs of praise. I'm bursting out with songs of praise. I'm bursting out with songs of praise. Joy. 
be seated. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Timberwood Church. I'm Amy Labar, the Children's Ministry Coordinator. A couple of announcements for you this morning. Number one, the Senior High Youth Retreat is coming up on October 30th, and so there is a sign-up online, um, and the deadline for that is the 25th. So if you have somebody in senior high um, and they want to go to the retreat, there's information on the website and a sign-up. Also, again today, after this service, if you are interested in seeing progress in phase three, it'd be a super awesome time because there's sheetrock. So you can see the defined spaces and the size. However, there's sheetrock, so it's dusty. If you are interested in a tour, Tom will meet you down by um, the end of the hallway, 109, um, if you'd like a tour after this service. Also in the chairs in front of you is this card. If you are new to us, we would love to know that you are here. If you have been with us for years and years and years, we also want to know that you are here with us. There's a brown, brown <laughs> box on this side. It's brown, um, tan. There's a brown box on the right-hand side. If you are interested in gathering some more information or you want contact by one of us um, on staff, you can check a box. On the back side of it is a spot for you to submit a prayer request. For those of you at home, if you have a prayer request, there's a spot on our website that you can submit that anytime during the week. Drop this in the offering basket when you walk out. Pray with me now, please. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together this morning and be reminded of your glory and the glory that is around us and the changing of the seasons and the beauty of it. Lord, this morning I pray that our hearts could just be quiet and our minds, our restless minds would just be still, that we'd be completely open and experience the love, the truth that you have for each of us. Lord, I just pray that as we go about our business of the week, whether it's at home or in school, businesses in the community, that our actions would reflect your love. Help us to remember that Jesus is the ultimate example of your love and that we are to reflect you every day. Lord, we give you this time. We love you and honor you with it. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to please stand. Let's sing together.
For some of you, that's really good memories, and for some of you, that's really bad memories. So 1794, right? The United States of America, it's just starting out. Alexander Hamilton is the Treasury Secretary. And um, I you know, recommend the book by Chernoff to you. At any rate, so they're coinage, right? They're making a dollar. And this last week, uh, the, the flowing hair, Dollar Labor li- Lady Liberty, uh, went up for sale. The last time it exchanged hands in 2013, it sold for $10 million. That's not a bad return on investment. There's basically about 1,758 plus or minus that were initially produced way back when. There's 130 to 300, depending upon who you talk to in existence, and unfortunately, it didn't sell. But if you want to pick it up for something over $10 million, I'm sure you can notify the current owner. Tapas this week, easy one, okay? Smoke Lake Trout. It's like one of my favorite it's like people are like, no, I like smoked salmon. I disagree. Most smoked salmon is dried out. It doesn't taste good. It's like, but smoked lake trout, I mean, it's oilier. It's just got more intensity. Pick it up at Maury's, wherever you might go. If you're on the North Shore, grab what fillet there, smoked lake trout. One of the most decadent tapases I've ever had. Tapases, is that plural for tapas? Sorry. Jan Moe were here. She would be, I'm sorry, Mrs. Moe. I slaughtered the English language again. One of the most extravagant, decadent tapas I've ever had was actually faux gras oh, in Spain that was seared in butter. <laughs> so it's like, it's like fat seared in fat. It was absolutely breathy. Okay, memory work, all right? Let's do this, right? Because you guys spent more time on your memory work this last week than you did on cable news, right? Right? You spent more time memorizing scripture than you did listening to MSNBC or Fox News, Right? So we're ready. So we start from the top. One, verse two, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Number, chapter one, verse eight, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. One, nine, and I pray that your grace, that your love may abound more and more. And then one, what's the next one? It's um, 18. What then? Only in every way. Whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And finally, last week, I need uh, help just to get started. Um, Yes. And it is my eager expectation and hope. Yeah, that's right. That's better than I know it. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, that full of courage, now as always, I will honor Christ with my body, whether in life, whether in death or in life. Is life first or death first? Death first. Whether in life or in death. I think that's roughly a good paraphrase. I mean, that's a good enough paraphrase that if you wake up in the middle of the night, you can recite it to yourself, and it's amazing how Scripture will calm the soul. This week, just one more line. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Can you imagine saying that? For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You probably heard the news. Eddie Van Halen has passed this last week. You may not have heard the news that Sterling McGee also passed this last week. Sterling McGee is arguably, according to Adam Wiseau, the finest one-man blues show that the United States of America has ever produced. He was an African-American gentleman who played in Harlem. He died in Florida, which isn't uh, unusual for a New Yorker. And, uh, and, and, and basically, the crazy thing about it is he was this guy who was a, a street prophet, um, didn't care much for Jesus. Um, he had an early encounter with his mom. He was playing the blues on his piano, their piano at home. And his uh, mother referred to that as devil's music. And so actually Sterling McGee changed his name and his stage name became a rather evil sounding Mr. Satan. Yeah, I don't get it either. I mean, it's kind of a joke, I think, that he was playing. But I wonder if Eddie Van Halen and Mr. Satan are playing Running with the Devil. I I was trying for that joke. Where are we at today? 21. 
For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful label for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. One desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. These are a series of coins that my dad gave me before he died. And um, I'm hoping... I'm hoping that, that I can walk off the stage today a millionaire because, what was it, 1794 is what we're looking for. This one's from 1978. That's not going to do much. It's got, uh, is that Eisenhower? I think that's Eisenhower. I got three of those. Um, probably wouldn't be willing to sell them for a dollar. Then I got one here. Oh, this is getting better. 1922. This is a uh, Liberty Silver dollar. Okay. And uh, so that's kind of cool. I mean, if we go back another 100 years or so, we get about there, well, a little bit more, 130. And then we got another one here. This one's also a 1922. This one's not as thick as the other 1922, so I don't know what that accounts for. And here we are. We got one. Uh, where is it? 1795. We'll see you later. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, it's 1921. It's the Morgan Silver Dollar. I've got two of those. At any rate... The whole idea of a coin and a coin flip is how we decide things, right? At face value, verse 21 would suggest that it's a coin flip for Paul. It's a life or death decision. But it's not a life or death decision because we use that phrase and we use it in a weird way. How many times have we heard that? It's a life or death decision. How many times do you have a life or death decision in your life? I would say you're living kind of weird if you have too many of those. We often use it as a hyperbole. And at times, an oversimplification of life. Sometimes we have this uh, almost stoic attitude towards life and death decisions. We think, if I die, I die. I know where I'm going. But that's really not what Paul's going after here. A life or death situation. A do or die situation. Have you ever done that one before? similar to the previous, and again, it doesn't get at it. There's also people who come to the point of life and death, and they're like, you know, I'm going to trust God will protect me even though I'm still careless. But that's not what Paul's doing. It's not a careless, I'm going to drive around without a seatbelt on or run with scissors. You've seen people do that, and you're like, what are you doing? And they're like, God will protect me. Okay. okay. Or poke a, a hibernating grizzly bear. I mean, yeah, no, no. It's not about being careless with life. In fact, Jesus said that. You know, for someone who ever says to you, well, I'm just going to trust that God's going to take care of it and I'm just going to drive with all the seatbelt. Jesus said, don't put the Lord your God to the test. He's standing with the devil on top of, not Mr. Satan, on top of the temple. Devil says, throw yourself down. Jesus is like, no, no, no. We don't test God with matters of life and death. What Paul is getting at is the reality that life has great value. And death, for those who are in Christ, has a sense of something greater than that. We still think, even though we would affirm, even though I would affirm, okay, I'm saying this about myself, even though I would affirm and I have confidence that when I breathe my last, okay, heaven is around the corner because I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I would say any of us can have confidence if we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that when we breathe our last, we can have confidence that we'll see Jesus if we have a relationship with him. But we still think in terms of life and death and death being the end of things. And so it drives all sorts of crazy behaviors. Paul says, if I live, I live for Christ. How do we live for Christ? And if I die, it's gain. Literally, the word is profit. It's a word that would be used in the, in the first century world to describe... Um, 
Um, you've invested into something, okay? Perhaps it's land, perhaps it's a business, perhaps it's an opportunity, perhaps it's whatever it might be, right? You've invested heavily into it. And, And you get to the point where you want to sell that business, sell that entity, okay? And you've done very, very well. You've done extremely well. You've invested in the proper things, and now the market is willing to say, because of what you've done, we're going to pay you really, really well. Really, really well. So you sell the business, and you profit. You gain. That is what Paul is describing here. A a person who has been extremely successful in the economy that God values, which is different than the world's economy, that, that, that death, death is like saying, buy me out. I'm going to retire. I'm going to go on to the next thing. I, I, I get rewarded for the effort that I placed into this thing. that I've spent so much time, so much time slaving with. That's what Paul's arguing for, to, to live is Christ, to invest into Christ, to allow Christ to invest into us, and to die is gain. Barclay puts it like this, death. Death is union and reunion. It is union with Christ and reunion with others. And and if I can just, if we can move just a little bit, just, just, just one square, away from the reality that life is everything and death is bad. If we can just move one square and get to a point where we can say, wait a second. Yeah, life is to be treasured. It is to be valued. It is to be held in a sacred trust. But death? Death is profit for those who are in Christ. The text goes on, verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Georgia Capond is a 290-acre lagoon near East Hampton, Long Island. It's also the title track and song from Johnny Swim's 2016 album. Johnny Swim is composed of a husband and wife, Amanda Sedano and Abner Ramirez. You can't escape the fact that they seem to really love Jesus. That's a discussion for a different day. Uh, uh, Amanda, or rather, yes, Amanda has this, um, this uh, bit that she does in live concert about touching the hem of Jesus. It, it, it's, it'll take your breath away. At any rate, Georgia Capon is where Amanda's mom's ashes are scattered. And we all know that ashes aren't ashes, Right? We, we know that, right? In the cremation process, ashes aren't ashes. So if you need more detail on that, ask me after the service, or there's other in the room that can help you with that. And Georgia Capon is about Amanda's mom, who worked hard for the money, uh-uh, uh-uh, so hard for it, honey. So who do you think her mom is? Come on, you can do that. I gave it to you. The song was right there. Of course, Donna Summer. That's what Paul's talking about. I'm working hard for the money. Fruitful labor. To, to, to live in the flesh. And Paul is using flesh here, not in a negative way. There's other places where Paul uses the word flesh, the Greek word that is sarx, translated flesh. But here it's not used negatively. Here Paul, to live in the flesh suggests that you live... And your living produces fruit. Fruitful labor, not working for nothing. Not working for something that is emptingly, empty, meaningless. What's empty? B- building a life on something other than the kingdom of God. And, and Paul says, I- I'm not sure which to choose. Sh- should I stay alive Does he, oh, that wasn't even a flip. Should I stay alive or should I die? I'm not sure which I should choose. But as I live, it's fruitful labor. 
And again, it challenges us at the core of who we are. Because we all have jobs. We all have uh, ways that bring money into the household. And labor has great value wherever you work. But the difference between fruitful labor and unfruitful labor is who are you doing it for? I can stand on this stage and do what I do, and if I'm not doing it for God, it's not fruitful labor. And you can build a house, you can repair a car, and you can do it for God, or you can do it for yourself. And one is fruitful labor, and one is not. Not sure which I'll choose. We don't spend a lot of time on that phrase. It's almost like Paul's flipping a coin, right? He's like, I don't know, what should I choose? Should I choose life? Don't worry, I got another one. I'll just wait till it falls over because no one's going to listen to me until it does. That's pretty impressive. It made it over the little ruggy thing. That's some integrity in that coin. Life or death. It's almost like he thinks he has the choice, which seems to go against how we think about life and death. Because we just think, oh, it's something that happens to you. And I don't know, okay, this isn't necessarily biblical, Okay, but a day before my dad died, he said to my second oldest, sec, my youngest brother and my second oldest brother, I think I'm going to hang around here for one more day. And the next morning, he didn't wake up. Did he get to choose? Had he made a deal with God? The night that my mom had her catastrophic stroke, we, we begged her, we begged her, stay with us. Come over to Nisswa, stay with us. My younger brother begged, stay with me. You just got home from the hospital, stay with me. My oldest brother, second oldest brother, stay with us. Just stay with us. We want to watch over you. We want to protect you. Mom's like, no, I'm okay on my own. I think she made a deal. I think she made a deal. And God's like, yeah, I'll honor that request. I don't know. Is that what Paul's talking about? Maybe, maybe not. I know for the last years of their life, my mom and dad walked with Jesus in ways that were absolutely breathtaking. And all the lessons that I learned, some of which were bad, kind of resolved in this beautiful expression of life and faith together. I don't know. Maybe Paul did get to choose. Maybe my dad did get to choose. Maybe when you live that close to God, you just know. I, I, I don't know. But, but it's certainly a phrase that is worth exploring. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. I don't know that I would say that right now, even though I know that it's true. I mean, can you, that's, a, that's a heck of a thing to say. I mean, I know I would affirm that being with Christ is better than earth, but I was like, there's a lot of cool stuff. Like, at least until the leaves stop falling. Until the boats are in. And then after that, Mowed my turf for the last time, then after that. But like right now. Right now, Paul says, it's, it's better. I'm hard-pressed because my desire is to depart and be with Christ. I'm hard-pressed between the two. Paul's like, here's what I want. I want to be face-to-face -face with the Savior. Do we long for that day? I want to depart. It's a word in the first century that you would use to describe taking down a tent. Paul's a tent maker. That's how he makes his money, moving around the first century. He's also supported by churches. But if he goes into a new area, he's making, he's doing it on his own. And so it's this, this word used to strike a tent, or it's a, use that would be you, a word that would be used to, to lift the mainsail on a sailing vessel and get out to sea. And Paul's like, I, I want to break camp. 
I want to trade a windblown tent for a permanent structure. Eugene Peterson in the message gets at it like this. The desire to break camp here and be with Christ is powerful. Some days I can think of nothing better. Our good friend Rich Mullins, it's not going to break my heart to say goodbye. Hard-pressed. You have to choose. I don't want to choose. You have to choose. I don't want to choose. You've got to choose this or this. And you can't just make it about a coin flip. What are you going to choose, life or death? Paul's like, I don't want to choose. I, I don't want it. It'd be like if you came to me and said, John, for your birthday, we want to get you a Grady White Gulfstream 232 with twin 150 Yamahas on a trailer ready to go. Or we want to get you a 37-foot Pacific Sea Craft in a slip ready to go. I'm like, ah, man. The Grady White 232 Gulfstream, a 9 foot, three-inch beam, a hull designed by Raymond Hunt, who was just an absolute giant in naval architecture. I mean, he, he, revolution, he had this race that he ran in a 36-foot, which became a Bertram, uh, from, from the East Coast out to Bermuda through heavy seas, the deep V that you're so enamored with for some people. I mean, he's the guy that did it. So do you do that? Okay, it's a power boat, Great Lakes fishing, go out to the Gulf Stream if you're on the East Coast. Or do you go with the Cree-lock design? The quintessential sailing sloop that the world has ever known. Creelock wanted his boats to be, to be safe and kindly in the seaway. He's like, you can, anything can float, a bathtub will float. He's like, but you want, you want a boat that can make a passage. And the 37-foot sea craft is amazing. The stern looks like a bow because Creelock says, you never know when your, bow, when your stern has to be a bow. Because you got a following sea that's just cr- what would you choose? I don't know. Okay, I get that I'm comparing fiberglass to eternity, but they're not far off. Come on. But that's the process that Paul's in. I think Paul is having a completely honest conversation. Should I stay or should I go? And no, I won't start singing that one. But ultimately, Paul says, I'm going to stay. Because what you need is more necessary than what I desire. That's love. Paul's like, you you need me here. It's more necessary on your account. Paul doesn't have an inflated sense of himself. Paul provides something unique for the church to this very day. He, He provides a sense of we can do this and we can do this. We, we can do this. We can do this thing called life and death. We can do this thing. Paul tells us again and again, and it's a message that transcends any age or any political structure or any geographic location. We can do this. If we are in Christ, we can do this. The obstacles that you're facing this week, we can do this. Paul says again and again and again, we can do this. And chiefly, Paul says, follow Christ. Paul also says, you shouldn't do this. Okay, and there's a lot of that, right? There's a lot where Paul's like, don't do this. No, 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 stay away from that. You know, specifically in Philippians, don't mutilate the body. We'll get into that more of that later. Paul says, we can do this. Don't do that. He educates us on good thinking, unity and peace and love and grace. And, and he educates us on bad thinking, self Self, self. Whenever we're thinking about self, we're probably going to be engaged in bad thinking. And ultimately, Paul provides an example to the church of a life that is pointed, oriented in the direction of Christ. Months down the road, we'll get to chapter 3, verse 17, 
where Paul will basically say, if you do life like I've done life, you're probably going to be okay. That's an incredible thing to say. I mean, that's one of the gutsiest things a person could say. If you do life like I've done life, Paul is saying, yeah, you'll see the Savior. But, But shouldn't we all aspire to that? Shouldn't we all aspire to say, hey, if, if, if you live like I live, and, and I know it's going to be a bold thing, right? Okay, because I got a lot of junk in the history books. And sometimes the history books is only a week old. But, but I think if you live like I live, if you live like my mom and dad lived, yeah, I, I think you'll see the Savior face to face. I think that's true. And I don't say it out of arrogance. I say it out of a tremendous amount of humility. Paul says it boldly. This is how you live. And this is how you die. We always think of coin flips in terms of winners and losers, right? You win the coin flip or you lose the coin flip. We like to think that a coin flip is an equitable way to start maybe the start of a game or, or of an overtime period or something like that. But actually, if you are getting good at flipping the coin, you can flip the coin so you can consistently come up with the heads or tails that you desire. Now, if you flip it super rapidly and let it hit the ground, then it's probably a pretty fair thing. But we're not dealing with a winning or losing situation here. You don't lose this coin flip. To live is Christ. And to die is gain. Please pray with me. In the quietness of the moment, just do business with God.
invite you to all stand as we sing and close today. Should I try this? Have you ever seen this done? You think I can do it? There's no way this is going to turn out good. Because if I pull it off, you're going to be like, yeah, of course you're going to pull it off. And if I mess up, it destroys the whole thing. But why not, huh? Oh, so close. I felt it on the pinky. Paul says, for me, <laughs> and it's true for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Go with that challenge, go with that peace, go with that confidence. In Jesus' name, amen.